Yo soy Jake. <laughs> y tú? Y tú, u casa, mi casa. This entire episode brought to you in Spanish. Oh yeah, no, no, we're not doing that. I can count. I can count to ten in Spanish. Thanks to Sesame Street, that's about it, though. What is ten? Ten? Yeah. I want to. I want See, now I have to I'm go. I'm calling through. you out on it. Oh my goodness, this is the introduction. So you just haven't memorized. You don't really know Uno, what dos, ten tres, is. Cuatro, cinco, seis, siete, ocho, nueve. Yes. There you go. There you go. There you go. What about twenty? You don't know twenty? Oh. Veinte. Oh, very good. There you go, guys. I took French in high school, so. They're the same thing, right? <laughs> They're not. <laughs> but we're going to be talking about a, uh, a a movie all in Spanish with, with a mixed title. With it's, what? it's actually in two different languages. Is Spanish in, in, and Mixtec. Mixtec? Mixtec. Mixtec. All right, that's too technical for me. Let's go to the intro. <laughs> What is up, my nerds? Welcome inside Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know-It-All. Sponsored by Mixtech. Mixtech? <laughs> I think it's Mixtech. I'm Jake. I'm Pablo. Welcome back inside our crazy brains. Uh, as you can tell, neither of us speaks Spanish nor Mixtech. What's Mixtech? So that is the indigenous language of... of uh, Native American groups within within the realm of Mexico, where the movie that we're going to be talking about takes place. So, a lot of the servants that you see there, they come from uh, from uh, more of a of a Native American background, and so because of that, they still speak their native language often. And so, when they speak to each other, they speak in Mixtec. And there you have it. That's all you need to know about Roma. The Roma. topic of today's discussion. Roma. You've, you've heard Paul gush about this. Oh, he's, Roma. he's been begging every episode, at least off, off camera, off film, off tape, off digital bits and bytes being recorded. Like, when are we going to talk about Roma, Jake? When are you going to watch Roma? Every every other word out of my mouth typically is Roma, Roma, Roma. And it's not just Paul though. Um, this film. You know what, Paul? This film would have saved me it had can, I yeah. known about it. Yeah, not, neither of us knew about it when we picked our our teams right for our fantasy movie awards season. But we totally I, ignored this movie. Well, I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. Had you even heard about it yet? I had heard about it, and but I we heard didn't. some good things. But you think a black and white foreign language foreign language film, movie at best it's going to get a foreign language exactly nod. exactly it was going to be one of those good movies that wasn't going to get nominated for a lot but yeah. it seems as though we might be wrong i might have been in contention whereas right now i need a miracle i would have just needed a you know a good so, performance or two okay so since we're on the topic yeah what what are the standings we on on our fantasy film league competition yeah what are the standings right now? Because we're coming close to the end. I mean, I think that by the time this episode drops, the Oscar nominations will be out. Um, most of the other, most of the other groups that we were sort of keeping track of have have given their own nominations. They've given their awards. How does this shake out? I'm, I I really haven't been paying attention, so this is going to be news to me. Yeah. Um, so we are only waiting for BAFTA. 
and Directors Guild, Producers Guild, and the Oscars. And the nominations and wins in both all of those categories. We have Golden Globe nominations and wins in. We have the SAG nominations mm-hmm. in, but we're also we are waiting Screen on the Actors wins. Guild. Yep, Screen Actors Guild. We have the new the National Society for Film Critics in New York Film Critics, LA Film Critics. All those are in. With uh, the Golden Globe nominations and wins in particular, uh, is where Paul's lead is coming from. He's currently in first place. Paul has a stout 49 points, <laughs> with his most productive film actually being Green Book. His the fourth pick of his draft is actually leading yeah. in points scored. I tell you, these, these competitions are won late in the draft. Uh, and it, because uh, it, it was tied for the most nominations at the Golden Globes, but also got the most wins. It got picked up three wins. It's a really nice movie. At the Golden Globes. Uh, I am trailing Paul by a healthy 36 points. <laughs> I have 13 total points. So for perspective, his one movie, Green Book, has 16 points, according to our scoring system. My whole team has 13, with two films being blanked. My best film so far is Black Panther. Which is a fine choice. Yeah, so so Green Book is sort of like my Patrick Mahone, right? Or your Tom Brady. Or your Russell Wilson. Oh, let's not speak of Tom Brady. Any, any late round draft yeah. pick that ended yeah, up Mahone was overperforming. Yeah, yeah. Mahomes was first first round. Yeah, he was a first round. So but this is your Brady or your Wilson. Green Book is carrying me to victory. It, almost it single handedly. Uh, it's outperformed your third pick by double. Wow. So, but your third pick that is out. That's your fourth. That's really your second to last worst performing film has outperformed all of mine. <laughs> so, so not going well for me so far. So, Jake, just just let me gloat for a minute. Do you feel bitter about this competition? Do you do you go to bed at night cursing my name? Say um, that you do. I mean, just I've got, I've got a do. doll that I. <laughs> And it doesn't seem to be working because I don't see any broken bones or bandages, puncture wounds, singed hair, anything like that. Yeah, well, I don't have very much hair to singe. <laughs> so I, I guess I need a new doll uh, <laughs> to, to, to afflict <laughs> with curses and wounds. Um, no, I think it's funny because I knew I was stretching on a few of my picks, but I didn't think – I didn't think that I was going to – I thought I would be closer to you at this point. Uh, I didn't think I'd have to rely so heavily on an Oscars miracle. I thought that would separate right. me from you. Right. But um, you know what? I was actually thinking about this. I wonder if – because when I'm looking at – part of the reason I picked Black Panther is because of all – excuse me <laughs> – the cultural attention it got, right? Right, right, right. This is it. Uh, really one of the first mo- really prominent blockbuster superhero movies featuring a primarily African-American cast and the culture and everything about it really – I mean it, it was a cultural juggernaut when it came out. All the late night talks – you know, people say were their kids feeling represented and all these things. And so I was like, for sure, this is going to clean up because of its cultural importance. This is going to be the year the superhero movie gets its due. But then come 
end of the year, you have Black Klansman drop and you have Green Book drop and you have uh, If Beale Street, Street Could Talk, Talk yep. drop all within the final three, four months of the year. And I think that sort of gives the award voters an out. They don't have to go with this cultural superhero film because, oh, I've got any of these three more artsy films that I can vote for and – because they're also they also make you know important cultural points right 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 and so I think and then again the fact that Black Panther came out so early in the year so you lose a lot of that buzz because so many other films have come out since then um, that I think so far it seems Black Panther just hasn't had the staying power to hold off all these other uh, trendy and culturally poignant films it doesn't mean it's a bad film or. Anything like that, I just I just think it's kind of the tyranny of the here and now that's sort of killed well, it. Well, and that's why all these award bait films are, are released right around now, right? right? Because or or you know, in, in November and December, sometimes in smaller markets, they're not even getting out until January or February because because people just forget. I mean, it's just the way we are. We we lose sight of some of the things that we remember really liking. This has actually been a better year than many in terms of in terms of having a longer term memory. First Reformed, which was one of the more powerful movies that I saw early summer, um, has actually gotten some some awards play, which I was surprised about. A Quiet Place has been sort of one of these under the radar type of awards bait type of movies even though it's a it's a popcorn flick and and obviously Pat, black panther still has a lot of traction but i think you're right i mean i think that that we tend to pay attention really closely to what has just happened right i mean they take they talk about that all the time in in job interviews you either want to be the first person or the last person because you um you can either set the tone for everything that comes later but the last person is the last thing that's going to be sticking with somebody's in somebody's mind. So there you go. There you go. Uh, so that's your update. I need an Oscars miracle. Something, a term you've probably never heard. An Oscars miracle. An Oscars miracle <laughs> to, to make a comeback. Um, yeah, I would need, I would need Paul to get blanked and I would need to get six wins just to, just yeah. to Roma. get this thing back neck and neck. Yeah, we could give you. We could give you. <laughs> Do I get a compensatory? <laughs> yeah, you can get a p- compensatory pick. You can have Roma if you want. It, <laughs> it would be interesting to see what Roma would do because it, right, I really, really don't adds. know that it would save me now that all these other films have kind of come in, or right. all these other awards have already come in. It would have helped me had I had it prior to those. I don't know that it, it's going to clean up the Oscars single-handedly. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that. So Roma is a new Netflix film, uh, and it is foreign language, as we said. And so that inspired us to do a Rank Geeks because we had to watch this in subtitles because we don't speak Spanish. Or or Mixtech. Mixtech. So we had to watch it in subtitles. We said, you know, let's rank the best, our at least our favorite films that you have to watch with subtitles. So we're going to do that uh, after we talk about Roma. Paul. Paul. Yes. Paul. Yes. Paul. 
Yes. Roma. Why Roma. is this movie – let's just start right away. Why is this movie even called Roma? takes place in the Roman neighborhood of Mexico City. When is that? That's never mentioned. It's never mentioned ever. And, and one of the things about this movie is so – I'm like, when am I going to meet Roma? <laughs> and he can be – Me dumb. Where Roma? It can be a little bit of a pain to Google this thing because every time you type in Roma, it sends you off to Italy. Right. Right? So you actually have to type in Roma Netflix in order to get anything about the and film. And then they're like, sorry, Netflix doesn't have Touch by an Angel. And you're like, that's not what I'm looking for. <laughs> sure, Jake, sure. I've actually never seen an episode <laughs> of Touch by an Angel. It's your type of show. Fun fact. It sounds terrible. <laughs> it actually sounds like exactly the opposite of my type of show. <laughs> hey, you'd love it. You'd love it. Who could I'd, not love I, I wouldn't Touch like it. by an Angel? I wouldn't Angel? like it. I've never seen a show either, but <laughs> – Anyways, Roma. 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 It is this. So now we know it's a Mexican neighborhood. It's, yeah, in it's, this it's city. a neighborhood in Mexico City. It takes place in the early 1970s. 1970, which, 1971. That they <laughs> actually say in the movie. They actually do. We see say a that. poster that says 1970, and we see a New Year's celebration that says it's 1971 now. <laughs> now, this is not happenstance that the director and writer of this movie grew up in Mexico City. In the early 1970s. These mm. were his formative years. Alfonso, Alfonso Cuaron. Cuaron. Yeah, he, uh, he grew up there. And this is really a semi-autobiographical story oh. by him. Was he um, a pregnant teen mom? He was a pregnant teen mom. Mm. He, it, was, it, it was strange how he became a world-famous director. But um, actually, he was one of the kids. And he, it was sort of a love letter to the woman who he really considers raised him, um, which was, you know, a, a domestic servant, much like the main character in Roma, whose name is Cleo. Uh, Cleo is this very uh, small, literally small, young, retiring, blend into the woodwork domestic servant. Right, she she does her work for this sort of upper middle class uh, Mexican city family, Mexico City family, and she she does her work, uh, and she almost just sort of blends in with the furniture. Um, but in the course of this movie, and we'll, we'll talk more about this, she's really the focal point of this movie, which which makes this movie a really difficult sell. When I tell people that it's a black and white foreign language movie based on the year of a, in the life of this family with a particular attention to this very quiet uh, domestic servant, it's not exactly the, the stuff that popcorn flicks are made from, but it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazingly riveting movie, or at least it was for me. I have to say, I'll, I'll just jump right in right there. It's a good starting point in that <sighs> this is a good movie. It's well made. It, it, but it's not one that I'm going to recommend to people, particularly. Yeah, uh, because I, I don't think it is ver- a very watchable movie, and that doesn't mean it's not worth watching. If you happen to like these types of films, or if you happen to find yourself watching it, it's well made. There's, I don't regret watching it. I I appreciate. It's a movie that I can appreciate. Right, but I didn't particularly. Enjoy. Right, right. And this is the this is the thing about this movie. When you talk about um, 
there's sort of this division in movies in, in a certain sort of way. And I think that there's some blending. And this year, ironically, has been uh, a year where you have sort of these popcorn flicks that, that blend with what people consider to be kind of these artistic awards bait movie, you know, Black Panther, A Quiet Place. All these movies have gotten um, some significant awards traction, even though people really like them. Roma is an old school art flick. I mean, this is this is more than something that you sit down and watch for fun. Oh, and I loved it. Let me let me just say, I loved it. I, I would watch it again in a heartbeat um, because it is just it's beautiful. It's this beautiful, beautiful. Um, it's beautifully filmed. It has beautiful messages that I'm sure we'll get into later. I think the story is incredibly riveting, especially as it went on as the story went on, and even though um, the the filming, it's interesting because the filming gives you, it takes you back a little bit because of the black and white nature, because of the the small nature of the, of the central character. It can leave you feeling, and just the way that, that uh, Quran uses the camera angles, it leaves you feeling a little bit chilly. It gives you sort of this remove. You feel like you're watching at a distance, almost, this story. Um, but in some ways, that's sort of the beauty of it. And I think that, that, that some of the things that he does with, with camera angles, with the art of the movie, with the character development, it's just an incredibly powerful movie. I can totally get what you're saying, though, Jake, where as I'm thinking about who I'm going to watch this with again— because I keep talking about it. Yeah. You mentioned it. That is no lie. I keep talking about it. It is my favorite movie of the year. But I do sort of wonder who who would really appreciate what this film has to bring you. You right. know? It's almost an acquired taste. And I think it just – it's the name of our show. Pop culture was fanboy and know-it-all. Or yeah. fan – you know, and as we break that out, fan people and know-it-alls. The fact that there is this sense, I think, in the culture, rightly or wrongly, because I think it's more mixed and nuanced than that black and white divide. But the fact that this is a know-it-all type of movie. This is where you kind of <laughs> flop from fanboy to know-it-all. Right. We sort of switch places. Right. Because this Although is – Although I'm a fanboy for this movie. Right. But it's not for fanboys. It's not, it's not a movie for fanboys in general because it is – very quiet and it feels I think and I think this is intentional on Quaron's part as a director it does feel like his memory mm -hmm. where you're only getting bits and pieces you're not getting the whole story you get a line here and a line there like a lot of the story develops through random overheard one or two sentences as somebody has a phone conversation or right. you enter into a convert interrupt someone's conversation and so this feels like pieces picked out of memory right right and kind of stitched together and so it's a very lazy film and not in the sense that he was lazy but that it just moves along lazily there's Languidly. not language there you go there's a good word yeah. uh, the, it, there's not a a pace to it yeah. truly it doesn't really doesn't pull you along what i found myself by the time we're, and this is, I guess, the strength and weakness of the film is that by the time I came to the moments I think that you're talking about that are really moving right, and, and kind of hit you right in the heart, I was surprised because I wasn't – I was actually just sitting there thinking I have no connection. Right. I don't feel like I know this character. I don't feel like I know any of these characters. Mm. And so when those moments happened, 
they they did hit me and pull on my heartstrings and make me tear up but because i didn't feel like that was the whole time yeah. it felt to me a little bit like a gimmick yeah you know where he's like i know i need to throw in something dramatic like this to get people's heartstrings and then like oh my goodness this movie how spoilery do we want to get on this um uh, you know what spoiler warning yeah. If you're going to watch Roma and you don't want spoilers, leave. Just get out of here. <laughs> it's you've been really warned. worth watching. And you've I, been warned. But if like, you don't care about spoilers for a movie about 1970s Mexico City, keep listening. Yeah. So I, I wanted to just bring that out there because I think I have three things that I want to say to that. And hopefully I can remember them all as I, as I go through them. Number one, my reaction was actually entirely different in terms of like the connection you have with the character. The character itself gives you this sense of remove. And I think it's because that she is this servant. She's used to being quiet. She's used to um, sort of going – going through her life as quietly and as unobtrusively as possible, even though the family that she works for loves her dearly, especially the kids. So because of that, she's a very quiet character. She doesn't have very many lines within the movie. Right. But because of the languid pace at which Quran sort of goes through this um, movie, I think it helps us get to know her a little bit better, I think. Um one of the things that that is right, a little it was bit a jarring. Purpo- it was a purposeful language. Right, right. One of the things that is really jarring as as we go through this movie for modern audiences, I think, is how long he holds a scene for. You know, you don't have those quick, 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 quick cuts. You know, and it's not a Black Panther where you you might have literally seventeen cuts in the space of about five seconds. Sometimes in those action movies, the very first scene in this movie. And I can imagine how you were feeling as you sat through the very first scene in this movie because I felt much the same way. You just watch water wash over these tiles as a plane goes overhead. You see this plane in the reflection of the movie as the water washes past. Uh, you see them washing the dog poop off of this this carport type of thing. The scene goes on. For Almost five, five minutes? minutes, yeah. Yeah, and it never leaves there. And you have moments like that, not quite as extreme, but a lot of these are just held an uncomfortably long time. And I think, for me, the interesting thing about those scenes is that it pulled me, as as you're sitting in those uncomfortably long scenes, your mind immediately starts going to different places. Like you start noticing some of the symbolism within the 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 washing of the of the carport but when it's focused in on her those long scenes allow you to sink into her personality i think a little bit more effectively and the reason the third thing i want to bring up is that idea of water when you talk about how it felt some of those dramatic moments that you have um felt a little bit like a, a sellout the thing that impressed me i think the most is how often you have these echoes of what we see in this movie. The movie starts off with that water washing scene. It's almost this this cleansing of this dirt, this grime off of this carport. You see the the plane going overhead, which is almost sort of this quasi spiritual, quasi mystical type of type of Sometimes in these movies, you have these planes that you see overhead and they become almost these angelic visions, right? 
at the very end of the movie, the the climax of, of the entire movie is Cleo at the beach dealing with uh, dealing with the kids. And the kids are playing in the water. She has no idea how to swim. And she has to go into the water and rescue them. You know as she's going in how terrified she must be. And it's partially because of how long the scene lasts that you you really get that sense of, of terror, of desperation, of the love that she feels for these kids as she tries to bring them back in. And then after that scene is completed, she sort of she sort of collapses on the beach. And, you know, everybody sort of comes around her and you feel this sense of, of cleansing almost from, from these difficult moments in the past where she makes this really powerful confession over, over something that happened to her. And she feels sort of washed over, this almost baptismal um, sense of, of cleansing that she has in this moment where she feels the love of the family around her. And it's just beautiful. And so you have these echoes throughout this movie. It's interesting how often water becomes a theme throughout this movie. And I think that that's, it's one of the beauties of this film that I think, ironically, I think it's one of those movies that, that will hold up stronger the more you watch it because I think it just has so much depth to it. Yeah. So there you go. That was the longest diatribe I think that I've was ever good. done here. That was good. No, I and I, I agree actually with your point about it's not the final scene of the movie, but it is It's pretty it's close. the penultimate scene of the movie. It's almost like for me it was almost like when Sam and Frodo finally get the ring into Mount Doom and it goes on for another half hour. <laughs> that was the end of the movie right. for me. Yeah. But, though thankfully this one wraps up faster than yeah. Lord of the Rings does. It is a two and a half hour movie though. It, I mean it is it is long. Though it's only, I think, 2.15. That – I thought that scene did work. Mm -hmm. I liked the the scene you're talking about, the rescue worked. The way he shot it from the side and you you track her back and it's normal and then – but then there's this building sense of – Ur- this urgency of wait is and and they did that through and I will say to your point about those echoes they did that throughout the movie there were a couple of scenes earlier in the movie where I actually thought something like that might happen and it did oh just bumped my mic <laughs> I thought something like that might happen because the way the scene was building very similarly right. and right. and it was almost but not quite and almost but not quite and then and then this happened and um, it, again it really really well made. But it's a hard movie. It's just not very accessible. I and, think that that's true. And, yeah, and it's very relaxing. And and, to, <laughs> and, th- and that was almost part of the problem is that I just uh, – that uh, the funny story, you know, to your point about how long the scene is where you just see yeah. the water washing the floor and right. it's five minutes long. And I've gone on rants in here about – you too much like wasted yeah. time. I yeah. like some wasted time, but not too much wasted time. I think part of what helped me not totally realize what was going on with how long that was <laughs> was the fact that I was trying to watch the I, – I started watching this movie on my iPad and I plugged in my headphones and I – Go ahead and start the movie, and the you know the opening credits start, and then we see water, and I'm not hearing anything, and I'm like, oh, is this a silent film too? <laughs> is this like the artist where it's black and white, foreign language, and yeah, it's silent? Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, or maybe he's just sucked the sound out of this, or I you know I don't know what's happening, 
And so I'm watching it for a little while. I'm like, I feel like I should be hearing things. And I check my sound and I'm turning up my sound and trying to figure it out. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to make sure that this isn't me because this is eerily quiet. It's not just – it feels it feels like something's right. broken. Right. But I'm seeing that all of my sound is turned up. And so I go – I go. I close. I I leave the movie about three four minutes of water washing the floor, <laughs> in, and then I turn on like I just click on an episode of the Great British Baking Show, <laughs> and it loads. And then I hear nothing from them. And I'm like, okay, something's going on. And so I'm trying to figure out why I can't hear anything. And it turns out that the connector into my headphones wasn't pushed in all the way. Like it can get yeah. loose and yeah. my kids can pull it out. And so I plug it back in and now I can hear it. So now I have to go back. <laughs> but I'm like, no, I was, I was watching it. There was nothing happening. Yeah, you don't need to go back. I'll just hear what it sounds like, make sure there's no dialogue happening. But there's not because there's subtitles. So I know I'm not missing anything. And so I just kind of, all right, I'm going to start it whenever it stops. Yeah. When she yeah. starts talking to her dog. You know, also. So I, I, I sort of. Uh, that didn't hit the full f- weight of that didn't hit me because I was having technical difficulties. <laughs> no, it, and I actually wonder if this is one of the things, and a couple more things to say yeah. on both of those. Um, I I had the the luxury of seeing it on the big screen, which very very few people are going to do because this was a Netflix movie. Most of the people are going to watch it on their on their TVs or right. on their phones or on their you know tablets whatnot. I felt like this was one of the most beautifully filmed movies that I've seen. It is the most beautifully filmed movie I've seen this year. And because of that, I really appreciated the big screen. And and one of my thoughts as I walked out of the movie was this is a movie that people need to see on the big screen. Um, so it's sort of ironic that it's been – and I'm wondering whether whether some of that small screen experience, whether that might have impacted you a little bit. It could have. Um and I, I think that's a good thing to talk about because that is sort of uh, where Roma finds itself winning all these awards is that we've seen a lot of derogatory f- feelings from award show critics in the past towards Netflix. Right. Sort of this idea that, well, to be real filmmaking has to be seen on the big screen right. first. And TV, you know, watching it on your TV at home is sort of a, oh, well. Yeah, like it's, yeah. It's a, it's to the to the snobs, to the know-it-alls, to the critics. That's sort of a well, we'll let you have that, you plebeians. <laughs> um, and and so Netflix is kind of coming against that, right? It's trying to right. make really high-quality TV and film, award-winning right. TV and film. But there is something to see. As much as I, I kind of poo-poo those who poo-poo watching things on your. TV and the screens are getting bigger there all the time. It's true. I there is something about watching stuff in theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I certain movies, I think, in particular, yeah, the, not all have to be watched. I I think a ghost story, for example, you don't need to watch that in a theater to really to get to the get experience. The yeah, in fact, that might that might be one I'd argue would be better on a handheld device like an iPad. Yeah. Or a tablet of some kind because yeah. it's a much more intimate right, film. Right. Like that, I actually watched it on an iPad on yeah. a plane, a ghost story. And, I, and I it think... wrecked me. <laughs> Man, that is a hard movie to watch. Really good. Yeah. Really hard. And so it it is – but this movie could be very similar in that it is 
Both movies are languid. Both movies will sit and watch things happen. They have the confidence and, in themselves to be quiet. Right. And and I do – again, I do appreciate that about Roma. Mm-hmm. It was a very calming movie in a weird way. Um, I think – to see this family bond together, even in spite of whatever adverse circumstances they're facing, right? There's a, a, a there was a calming sense to it, uh, for me at least. Mm-hmm. In spite of in, in spite of the fact that I'm like, this is an amazing movie. I'm not going to run back to it for me, right? I did uh, I did appreciate that about it, and yeah. I did like that about it. Yeah, I the thing that I loved about this movie, and I've written about this before, is is the idea that Roma gives us a hero that we very rarely see on screen. We're both on record as being big superhero people, right? So we love the traditional hero who goes out and risks his life and does these heroic things and strains his muscles and flies and all this kind of stuff. We love that. Roma gives us, in Cleo, I think, a hero that is a more biblical hero. She is – and I keep coming back to this, this idea of the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are the meek. Right. Blessed are the servants. Blessed are, are you know, all these people, all the blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. All this kind of stuff. She embodies almost all those elements within within her character. Right. She brings to the screen someone who we very, very, very rarely consider, especially in movies, this this quiet, unassuming character. And oftentimes we overlook in real life too. There are so many people that we just tend to look past because they're not important. And Cleo is, by definition, a quote-unquote not important character. And yet through this movie, we see we see the beauty of her character. And I would even go so far as to say we see the glory of her character. We see this, this beautiful essence of Christ-like servanthood within her. And, and because of that just very, very unique character that we very rarely see anywhere, um, the director's ability to make that um, compelling and to make that, um, you know, just so just so beautiful. I mean, it's a word I know I keep coming back to again and again, but it really does make you think there is something beautiful about just doing your job, doing it well, loving well, caring. There is something gorgeous about that. And that's what I really enjoyed about this movie. And I can't argue with you there. And I think that's a good last word on it. Roma on Netflix. Uh, I think Paul has maybe mentioned there is a content caveat or two here. Oh, yeah. It really – and I think (laughs) – that's a frustrating thing about it, and that the 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 thing that makes it R rated, right? Totally unnecessary. It was it was it was goofy, and it was not done. It was not done in uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It was not done. It wasn't salacious. No, it wasn't salacious. It's it not was meant just, to be. It's a dude. It's a dude doing his martial arts yeah. routine, stark naked. So you right. see him flopping around in all of his stark naked glory. Yeah. Or yeah, and lack it's, thereof. It's, Either you know whatever. Yeah, he's this laughable character. Essentially. Right. He's a he's he, he's a, he's a villain in yeah. the film. Th- really, the only villain in the film. Oh, there's two. Yeah. Yeah. The men he's in this the movie most don't aggra- come across the, very well. There's two. Yeah. There's. It's, I can see I, it's one of those movies that there's a certain crowd I could see being like, oh, I hate this men aren't the worst 
um, well, sometimes it can be. So, <laughs> yeah, so get over yourself. There is like a two-minute scene with lots of male nudity. Well, yeah. But. but otherwise, this is a PG movie. Mm, well, yeah. no. There's PG-13. a couple of swear words. Yeah, there's, there's a couple of swear words. There's a scene of violence. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a very – I would put it in the kind of the, the territory of the a king's the king's speech. Mm-hmm. Where really most of the movie is a PG movie with a few moments of oh oh well yeah. that yeah that's definitely R rated and those moments I mean the moment in this movie is really extreme I mean you have to be aware of it but it if you take that you can skip out, it pretty easily because yeah, you, you you see a long shot of him and it's clear that he's naked but you're not seeing the details you're like oh I can skip this this is time to move <laughs> forward let's just scrub past that. <laughs> And you don't miss anything. Yeah. But, yeah, outside of that, it really is – I think it's a movie worth watching. It's definitely going to get some Oscar buzz. So if you're interested about it, I mean, just for curiosity's sake, I think you've gotten a good idea from Jake and I if you love these kinds of movies or if you think that you're going to be put off by some of the the elements, you have a good idea whether to (laughs) to watch or not. And and so springboarding off of that, now it's time to talk about – the best films to watch with subtitles. <laughs> Podcasts with subtitles oh, that wouldn't would be a great thing. Oh, man. I don't even know. That, I don't that, know. Some of our readers wouldn't work. appreciate that. It just listeners. wouldn't work. You know, unless it was a video, and then is it still a podcast? Mm. Is it, when does a podcast stop being a podcast and become a vodcast? It's a good question, right? But uh, it, see, watching a movie with subtitles is a unique experience because all of a sudden there's multiple things you have to, extra things you have to do to engage with the experience. And we just talked about a movie that was shot in a language we don't understand, so we had to watch it. And subtitles. And so there's times where it's like, oh, I want to watch what's happening on the screen, but I want to see what they're saying. And so I'm going back. And that's part of the problem with it being such a beautifully shot film is that you're kind of looking back and forth between the text and the screen and what – did I just miss something? (laughs) So Um, let me ask you, just on that that note, do subtitles bother you? Do they pull you out of a movie? I Not the way I think I've heard some people describe mm-hmm. being unable to stand subtitles. Sure. I, but at the same time, I don't think they help. I mean, I, I, think, I, I think there's a trade-off. They draw you in in the sense that you have to focus more. Right. It's You can't really be distracted as you watch because you need to be reading right. as you watch. So I think they make it a more active experience. Mm-hmm. And I like that part about it. But – they can also distract from the visual stuff of movies and the nuances. And that's another thing I like about movies and television is the nuance of performance and of visuals. And if I'm having to read subtitles and I miss the way they you know, framed this particular shot or the way this character reacted, I don't like that part about sure. it. So um, – there's a trade-off there, and yeah. so I don't. I don't loathe subtitles. I don't. It doesn't scare me away from movies the way it does some people. But yeah. at the same time, uh, I miss being able to study whatever yeah. I want on the screen versus having to read. Of course, when you get older, 
Sometimes you start flipping on subtitles all the time because you can't hear the sound. Anymore. Yeah, there. You know what? There's times where I have to do that. I'm getting older, and my wife keeps saying that my hearing's going. So uh, <laughs> subtitles more and more often for me. Yep, hear that, hear that, Jake. All right, so uh, our top five favorite films to watch with subtitles. All that being said, what were the best ones that you've watched with subtitles, Paul? What's number five for you? Number five for me, Indochine. This may have been the very first uh, subtitled movie I ever saw. It's a it's a French story that takes place in Vietnam, and it always it was one of the very first movies that I saw with subtitles, as I just mentioned. So I don't remember very much about it, but it was French. It had subtitles. It was really powerful. Why I don't quite remember, but it did have a really cool scene with a melting a melting record player record. Yeah, you yeah. like watching things melt. Well, it was Have because you it was so YouTube? hot in Vietnam, you know. You can watch stuff like that on YouTube, and there's no subtitles. <laughs> Indochine. It's a Indochine. movie. It, hardly anybody remembers, but it, yeah, you don't it was even remember great. it. Except that, <laughs> yeah. except that you like it. I remember. I remember the name. It was really powerful. So there you go. <laughs> uh, all right, number five for me is a movie called Once. Once. Now this is. Uh, I've got another film on my list similar to this in that – Called you, Twice? No. Mm-hmm. It's not called Twice. But it, you don't – as an English speaker, you don't have to watch it with subtitles because it is in English. However, it's an Irish film. Oh, <laughs> gotcha. And it stars an Irish guy, actor named Glenn Hansard who's actually not an act. He was a singer. Right. And a, a Czech singer named Markita Irglova. And Very nice. So – it's an Irish film with an Irish guy and a Czech girl, and they're talking really fast, and they are really, really hard to understand. And so if you don't watch it with subtitles, if as an American – and I know this is showing yeah. my American. Yeah. As an American, you have to watch it with subtitles to yeah. even understand what's going on just based on – their accents and how fast they talk, it gets rough. And so it was, and it's actually like a semi musical, mm-hmm. really great music. Um, but Once is a, is a movie I had to it. watch with subtitles. Yeah, no, I, yeah. you know, and that's, that is something that makes me feel kind of bad. I think I would need to watch it with subtitles as well. There was one time we were visiting Scotland, turning, returning a rental car. I literally could not understand the person You're in Scotland. There, standing there, <laughs> she staring repeated helplessly. to me three times what she was trying to say. Someone actually had to come over and interpret. <laughs> like, I really not only did really, are you are you calling Braveheart to me? <laughs> <laughs> I felt like such a I felt like such a dumb American. I really oh I felt so bad. Like, oh, you got to rent a rental car. And you get it. <laughs> I haggis what <laughs> what. What is this? Why? Did I, why? There you go. Number four. Number oh, and, four. and it, it deals with a vacuum repairsman and a busker. So there you go. So there you Once. go. It, it has That's a little bit of aroma in there. Yeah. You know? Yep. So, Paul, number four for you. Number four. This is a movie that I'm guessing might make your list. Seven Samurai. It did not make my list. Ooh, wow. As, as we talked about when we, when we did that on the backlist Hall of Shame, another one that I appreciated but like. I would say 
I liked it even less than Roma. Roma would be higher on my list than Seven Samurai in terms of movies I actually enjoyed. Interesting. Seven Samurai. So there, Paul, that goes right in your face of your theory that I only like movies I with figured men. you would only watch So like you'd be like, five. Seven Samurai. Like, <laughs> it's a list. bunch of dudes, so <laughs> he's going to love it. No, Roma's better, and it's basically all women. It's all women. Yeah. 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 All the good characters are women. There is not sure. – there is – what one sympathetic adult male character? One sympathetic adult male, and you character. never you hear can, him talk. You can even argue. Yeah, that's true. There's there's a couple that sort of lean on the fence, you know, they're, but they're, they're very ancillary. Yeah, and they're not really good guys. They're just there. Yeah, and and the dad has a moment of not badness. One moment of not badness. <laughs> one moment where he's not a complete. <laughs> yeah, All don't right. say it. Okay. Number four, Seven Samurai. Seven Samurai. We'd, We've go back and listen to our yeah, Seven you can, Samurai. You can episode. hear what we said we about Seven about Samurai. It. It, it's a good movie, a though. I liked it a lot it's, better than you. It's a important movie because it's of what it meant movie. to cinema history. It's a good movie. It's not going to be great unless you're into that sort of oh, thing. Oh my goodness! And I tend to even be kind of into that sort of thing. Yeah, I I really was surprised that you didn't like that movie. It was, it was really excellent. It was fantastic. <laughs> Everybody should go see it. All right, Statler Here we are. and Waldorf. <laughs> He's just escalating. It's a pretty amazing. It's amazing. Everybody needs to go watch it. It's escalating. All right, number four for me. This is the other one on my list that has a caveat to it, and it's Snatch. It's Snatch. a Guy Ritchie movie. Oh, my god. Did you ever see Snatch? No, I didn't. But Guy Ritchie, that's all yeah. you need to say. It's Guy Ritchie. And so, again, super fast-talking British and Irish characters. But what's even more notable is actually an American actor playing a gypsy character. And that's – yeah, that's right. It's Brad Pitt. <laughs> Brad Pitt once again showing off his versatility and <laughs> oh that he does this gypsy character oh that is notable. People, people note how he nailed his gypsy character. And it's it you literally can't even with subtitles you might not be able to understand <laughs> Brad Pitt's gypsy character, and that's part of the movie. It's brilliant. Everybody talks fast. Everybody's got this thick accent, but Brad Pitt wins it all when um, he talks about his dick. Oh, uh, did you watch this? When he talks about his his dig. <laughs> Get my dig. I'm going to put my dig on you. Gotcha. I thought you said something entirely different. <laughs> That's what I mean. You're sitting there like, what about his dig? Like, what? 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 His dog. Gotcha. The dig. All right. Yeah. You know, we haven't mentioned Brad Pitt for a long time. I thought I knew it was time. A travesty. Yeah. Okay. Number three Number for me. Number three. This is a movie you would not like very much because okay. it's scary. Oh, I hate scary movies. Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, see, Pan's Labyrinth is one that's been sort of on the – it's been on my backlist. Yeah. No, it, yeah. and it's re- actually really worth watching. It has some, some really great messages. They just re-added it to Netflix, in fact. Oh, did they really? Yeah. We should watch it in preparation for back- Backlist Hall of Shame. Well, maybe that's the next episode. Maybe we'll it is. We'll see. Um, yeah, Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, Del Toro directed it. It yeah. was his movie that put him on the map. It was an amazing bit of visual, um, visual cinematography, movie making. It was it was just right. really really very great. inventive, very creative, yeah, colorful, yeah, exactly, but dark, it, 
colorful but dark. That is exactly the way to describe it. It has some some really nice messages underneath it all, but it's this this fantastic element, and it is all in subtitles. So there you go. There you go. Pan's Labyrinth number three for me. Now we get into actual foreign language films for on my list, and that is a Korean film called The Good, The Bad, The Weird. <laughs> <laughs> and it is a Korean Western. A Korean Western. Comedy. Mm. In typical, amazing Korean Western comedy fashion, as you know. Korean For all of you I that are you con- connoisseurs of Korean Western comedies. But uh, it's it's got Byung-Hung Lee, who's gotten some international success. He was in things like The Magnificent Seven, uh, that you would be familiar with, with mm-hmm. Denzel. But um, really, a, just a a goofy film that moves a hundred miles a minute. Um, but yet still has some of those quiet Western moments. It really hits a lot of great notes, even though it's got a very, uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not an expert in authentic Korean filmmaking, but it, it still feels like it has some cultural, it, it doesn't feel like it's totally a Western film, the way a spaghetti Western might right. be where you watch a, the good, the bad and the ugly, right. which obviously this title is playing off of. And you're like, this is just a Western that's directed by an Italian. This is a Korean film. It all takes place in you know Asia and has all these plot threads and uh, old families and ancient history and you know all the different gangs and kung fu and all that. But at the same time, it is still a Western, and it it, it is quite funny um, and a very compelling standalone film. So there you go. I the may good, have to actually see the it. The bad, the weird. It was on Netflix for a long time. I'll double check as you give us your number two. The good, to the see bad, it the still weird. Is. Yeah, it's, it, I have – this is going to sound strange, but I have a certain soft spot for for Korean movies. Yeah. They they make some really creative stuff. You would like this then. So, yeah, I think that the, the Korean movie industry is, is pretty creative overall from what I've seen. Um, number two on my list, Crouching Tiger – Hidden Dragon. Interesting that this made it. I yeah, mean, you know, it was a. Uh, it was. Though I'm not surprised for you. Keep going. Yeah, no, it, it, for for whatever reason, um, I I'm a big Michelle Yeoh fan. She was in Crazy Rich Asians um, this year. She's been in James Bond, but she is one of the most compelling actresses I think on the scene today, and I think that she is at her absolute peak. In uh, in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and and it's a it's a really compelling story for me, where it's it's almost a romance. This is the closest I'll ever come to to actually putting a. Romance. Oh, it is a romance. <laughs> the the <laughs> entire the entire middle no, section true. is like an hour and a it's half true. of romance in the desert, and then it finally gets back to the kung fu kung fu <laughs> <laughs> the kung fu in the end. Yeah, no, it's it is. It is all. It has lots of these love stories, these tragic elements, but it has this incredible action. I mean, the martial arts action is just super cool. The fight between Michelle Yeoh and the and the the other character within the the castle when they're using all these different weapons. It's one of my favorite martial arts scenes of all time. And of course, the martial arts scene isn't subtitled too much, but the rest of the movie is. So it's yeah. great. Yeah, it's got it's got really good fight choreography. It, you know, it's cl- it's famous for the treetop yeah. fight in particular, um, which doesn't really hold up if you go back and watch it. Sadly, yeah. Um, however, you're right. The kung fu is really good. I this came out kind of um, when I was a young teen, mm-hmm. and so I was 
captivated by the kung fu and at the t- again at the time you know the treetop the fighting the weapons right. all right. of that um but it was one that even when i rewatched it as a young teen because i watched it the first time was engrossed this is amazing but even when i w- went back and rewatched it man that middle section is long and slow it is tough to get through you know it's, them it, just being in a cave yeah. in a desert yeah. and you're just like how long is this yeah. i fell asleep multiple times and it was a movie <laughs> that at the time i would have told you this is one of my favorite movies i've yeah. seen and then i watched it again and i was like wow now, you know, it's, it's tough to get through in the middle. And that's one of the interesting things when you mention it about this this movie is that it's structured just very differently than right. than it's what I think Right. It's not your traditional western style that we're used to. Yeah, it just has sort of it just has these these movements that can sort of feel almost disconnected from each other in some ways although of course they're all part of the same story but it right. just feels the the rhythm of it is just very different. And, yeah. and I do have to agree with you that the scene in the cave the inner my inner ten year old comes out and says, "Let's get back to the fighting." Yeah, come you on, know? come on, let's move it along. All right, number two for me is an Italian film called "Life Is Beautiful." Oh, did you forget about this about one? That yeah, okay, for sure. When you said "Crouching Tiger," I thought this was going to be your number one since it hadn't showed up on your list. But um, this is a movie from the late nineties. And is really – what's the actor's name? Roberto Giovagnani. Whatever his, yeah. whatever his Italian name is. Roberto Benini? Rob- Benini, yeah, yeah. Roberto Benini, um, who actually co-wrote the movie. And he mm-hmm. plays this Jewish-Italian bookshop owner who gets caught up in the, the – the Nazis purging right. of Jewish people and their imprisonment. And he has to take his son – they're made to go to this camp, this prison camp, and he's determined not to 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 try to keep his son's spirits up, mm-hmm. his young son's spirits up. And so he tries to make everything into this grand adventure, all these scary, horrible things. Um, and so it's this movie that has several very funny moments and very touching, heartwarming moments, and very and then a few heart wrenching, right. Moments, and I won't give any spoilers, but um, a very, very beautiful film. Yeah, it's it's a it is an interesting film, and it's another one that has a different sort of structure to it. Where the first half is really this romance story, this almost traditional yeah, you do, yeah, romance, some... and then and then you go into this concentration camp. It got some some criticism for what some people thought was making light sure. of obviously one of the worst tragedies in, in human history. But and uh, uh, I, yeah, I think you can't – it's hard to avoid that. Mm. But what the heart of this movie is not to make light of it. Right, exactly. In fact, I think it ends up being very gut-wrenching in how it handles the darkness of it but shows, I think, um, those stories of the human spirit – in those sorts of circumstances that try to to stay up and overcome. Yeah. And so this is not meant to be your Corey Ten Boom, you know, hiding place story that shows right. the unflinching details. This is meant to be what what can happen when a father loves his son right. so much that he wants to protect him from this horror. Exactly. Exactly. It's all about to, all about the father's love for the child. It's all right. about the endurance of the human spirit. Yeah. I agree with you. All right. Number I hate one. To say that. Number one for me. I really debated on this, actually. Um, but I, I think that it deserves the place on the top of my list. The seventh, It is The Seventh Seal. Okay. 
I you know what I saw that on as I was doing some looking around, and I thought I could totally see Paul putting this up there. <laughs> well, it's my type of movie in, right. in a certain sort of way. It's very metaphorical. It has these these really strong visual elements to it. it, it it's. It, I am not going to say not much else is happening. That it's not a laugh riot, you know. <laughs> but you mean playing games with Satan isn't hilarious all the time? <laughs> it, it's not exactly a light movie, and it has some difficult moments to it. But but I think that it's really different from any movie that I've seen, and and I think that the power of the movie um, sort of overcomes some of the the things that kind of feel weird and 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 foreign to us as as western you know american movie watchers i, I think um and plus it gives you a great foundation to watch uh, bill and ted's excellent no what is it bogus journey is that the one nobody likes bogus journey yeah oh that's the best but I, that's it, a, it's, it's the, yeah no, it's, you, it's less publicly loved yeah so you, know, you, you got to watch the seventh seal before you watch bogus journey <laughs> okay and then you'll like it better <laughs> Well, there, there you go. You have to watch two weird films <laughs> to enjoy one of them. Um, that's a deal you won't get most places, folks. <laughs> enjoy one movie for the price of two. All right, number one for me is actually very accessible and enjoyable. I think it actually might be one of the more accessible films that with subtitles that you'll ever come across, and that is Kung Fu Hustle. Kung Fu this Hustle. has popped up on a list of mine before on movies that uh, have that that define me. And Kung Fu Hustle is a 2008 film. Stephen Chow, who is also famous for like Shaolin Soccer. And it is a comedy Kung Fu movie. And it deals with this guy who wants to join a notorious gang in 1940s China. And so he tries to knock – hold up this – you know, uh, apartment complex and gets his butt kicked and causes some of the gang members who are passing by to get their butts kicked and sets off this whole <laughs> chain of events. Uh, but this film, what's fascinating about it is it's one part Kung Fu movie, one part like nostalgic uh, comedy about 1940s China and the gang scene there. And it's seven parts cartoon like it's a it's a roadrunner <laughs> cartoon meets a martial arts film meets a comedy oh. you know 1940s vintage chinese comedy movie and it's really just very delightful but it also has some touching moments to it uh where that they're bringing everything full circle from beginning to end why is this guy acting bad it goes back to his childhood and it comes all the way back around to his adulthood and everything's in subtitles and the action's there and you're going to laugh out loud. It is R-rated because of, you know, you see some dude's butts and there is a bunch of kung fu violence. People die. Heads get chopped off. But Kung Fu Hustle is just a fun movie. Yep. So I think that our number ones really describe our personalities pretty well. Hey, my number two is Life is Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, you're Kung right. Fu you're hustle. totally right. <laughs> you are totally right. Now, your, now I want to see it. But I've got the DVD. We should watch it sometime. Okay. Well, it's one of the few DVDs I own. Yeah, because you don't own DVDs. I own a who, thousand. Who needs to own DVDs anymore? I know. I Not know. very many. But uh, what's your favorite movie with subtitles? Let us know on Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I'm at AC Paul. 
Let's wrap up with the most least important thing. Here we are. I mean, we were here already. <laughs> We've been here the whole time. We've You've been, been here, here the, whole, the time. whole time. But here we are, inside the here we are, for the most least important thing, the part of the show where we take the things of the culture's import and we reduce them. Or we take the things of our import and we inflate them for the culture. Paul, what do you got for us today? All right. What Jake, is the most least important thing? Speaking of subtitles... Subtitles. I have a story about the moon. The moon with subtitles. Yes. Because if there were people who were, you know, creatures living on the moon, we'd surely need subtitles. Right. They're probably not speaking English. So uh, If they are, it's because they've been watching, like, old reruns of Three's Company. So a while back, uh, China sent a mission to the moon. The dark side? The dark side of the moon. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know whether they were playing Pink Floyd the entire way up or... It would be really cool if they did, although super, super depressing. But they took some some organisms that they thought they would try to grow on the moon. Let's see what happens. Exactly. And so they started growing things on the dark side of the moon. Like they, uh, in, the, in the moon dust or just? Actually, just in a canister. In so a canister. It was, it was a little bit disappointing the more I got into this story because I was thinking it was going to be like a whole alien scenario where they were, you know actually growing right. things within the moot and dirt but it wasn't even that extravagant but but apparently some um some cotton seeds took root and they grew inside a canister with earth oxygen yeah. and earth dirt yeah see see this is why it's <laughs> this is the least important so why is this important it's well what does it teach them they're dead that now. it's possible okay they, yeah, yeah the, the cotton seeds died because there wasn't balance. enough earth oxygen. Yeah. Well, yeah, and because sun, it's cold. You know, and it's cold, that. and yeah. maybe they should have gone to the light side of the moon because then maybe plants, it would have been warmer. Right. You kind of got to think about the fact that plants need sunlight. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of important. It's kind of – It's a thing apparently. It's a, it's a thing. And so, yeah, so these, these cotton seeds, they died. But they grew for about a week. So I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing that they grew for a week. Before they died or that they died. Now, how do they know they grew for a week? Do they have camera footage of it? I think that they sort of radio in and, and they talk with the seeds. <laughs> with the, <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, little guys. How, how's it going? It's sort of like you, – You growing yet? They used to do that with like the Tibetan monks that like starved themselves to death. Uh-huh. Like they would be walled in essentially and, and so they would – Every once in a while, they would knock on the wall, and then they would knock back to see if they were still alive. And then they'd knock on the wall, and eventually no one would knock back, and then you knew that they were dead. So maybe it was something like that. So you just check every day. All right, day 40, he's gone. He's out. So maybe that would be the most important thing is that these cotton seeds could somehow knock on the side of the canister right. and let these people Which is really tough for cotton seeds being that they're cotton, and cotton's notorious yeah, for being so it's soft. Sort of, so it's, it's like sort of, it's trying to knock, and it's just like – yeah. There's no sound. So they could still be alive. They might still be alive. Yeah. I mean, uh, the fact is, how do we know? How do we know? We don't know. Maybe they became moon cotton seeds and we just created a a, a race of mutant moon cotton that That, is going to become sentient. That would be cotton picking great. Cotton picking great. All right. Uh, Bringing us back down to earth. Is is my most least important thing, and uh, I wanted to talk about Gillette's new campaign. Paul, 
Have you heard about this? <laughs> no, I haven't. Gillette's new campaign? Gillette's like new the campaign. Razor company? The Razor Company. Okay. So they've, they've sort of been previewing this throughout the football season. So it's not totally new except that now we see what they've been building up to. So like during the football season – They've been showing commercials of this dad teaching his sons how to shave. And then you see one of his sons has a stump of, instead of a hand. And then he's coaching them as they play football and they're getting older. And then they both this, – this kid with the stump makes it into the NFL. And then all the while you hear his dad talking about oh, yeah, what yeah, it yeah. takes to succeed and what it takes to be a good man. So and it's it, the real guy, right? It's the real – yeah. It's based on the true story of a football player who's now had with his the rookie Seattle season Seahawks. with the Seahawks. Right. Where, yep, yeah. Yep. He's a linebacker and he's played Division One college football and now in the NFL with only one hand and then one st- uh, stump of a hand. Yeah. So, anyways, they've now dropped and, and and their tagline is the best Gillette, you know, the best a man can be. And so now they've dropped uh, a new commercial within the last week or two that is is really building on this idea of the best a man can get or the best a man can be. And what you hear is, you know, all these headlines and news clips and and you see footage of uh bullies, you know, boys chasing another boy and uh men sexually harassing women and all these things. All these negative right. examples of the way and uh, mansplaining. If you guys are familiar <laughs> with mansplaining. <laughs> And then it says, essentially, you know, we need to show our boys what the best a man can be is. And so then we see like most of these scenes, not all of them, kind of play out again. And this time a man steps in and he stops the bullies who are chasing the other little boy. And he breaks up a fight between two little boys and or it's different men in each time or a, a guy steps in and stops a guy from sexually harassing a woman and all these it's like like th- this is the example we need to set for our children really powerful and i think touching ad except to some men who are like oh this is the worst i'm never gonna use a gillette again like men freaking out because a commercial is saying hey Maybe maybe we should be peacemakers. Maybe we should protect women from being sexually assaulted. Maybe we should be gentlemen. Maybe we should, you know, take care of our families. Maybe we maybe there is a best we should aspire to. And people that normally talk about the degradation of society and cultures, you know, uh, how they how culture devalues men and men are just idiots. Here's this commercial saying, no, we actually believe men can be awesome and amazing and protective and powerful in you know how they like operate in society by protecting the people around them both you know whether they're male or female and they're losing their minds over this thing because i don't get it i don't get it and i was hoping you had seen this and could help me understand why people are mad about this and so if you're listening please help me understand how people can be mad about this message of hey men we can be awesome. We can be heroic. Like let's let's not just be okay with this type of stuff. Let's instead stand in the gap and be defenders of people. Yeah, you know, it's a. I don't get. I it. have not seen the ad. Yeah. I I know that my my level. I used to those really touchy feely ads used to really work on me. I think I've hit it's some not, sort of a level of 
I'm just I'm just tired of them. But the message that you say right. seems like a good one. And it's not even know? particular. I mean, it, it is touchy-feely in a sense, but it's not your standard touchy-feely. Yeah. And that, again, the way it is is it's showing men being strong right. and intervening in stuff. And so it, it has an empowerment more than touchy-feely to me personally. Right. right. But, yeah. Well, I think that it's worth watching and who knows. Yeah. So, if, Paul, if you watch it and it pisses you off, let me know on Twitter. I'm at <laughs> Jake underscore Roberson. You can, you can hit me up there and talk about how actually this is the worst thing that's ever been made. And then you can push back at me right. at AC Paul. Exactly. <laughs> and until next time, that's where you can talk to us on Twitter. <laughs> I'm Jake. I'm Paul. We'll catch you guys on the flip side. Bye. <laughs> Sorry. Delayed reaction, man. Sorry.